Hello and welcome to the Raptors Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wei Mu. Uh, reminder, we're doing daily content all throughout the end of uh, free agency, and that's that uh, we will be on air both radio and TV tomorrow and Friday in advance of the NBA draft. So please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the show. Today on the program, I have Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports to bring us more insight on what's been happening with the Raptors and across the league as well. Jake, uh, obviously your name has been everywhere if you have followed NBA rumors and, um, you know, just wanted to say before anything else, just congrats on the come up first and foremost. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, uh, I've been an admirer of what you guys got going on north of the border uh myself so congrats to you too oh i appreciate it man appreciate it um yeah i think especially for you i, I think you know where we first took notice of you in, in toronto um was when you called that scotty was going to be the pick at four yeah. and i know at that time there was a lot of discussion it was still sugs i think it was a consensus um thought at four um you had you had scotty there and uh, obviously that that's sort of how it turned out um, but listen, we, we have a lot of niceties, but we don't have that much time because <laughs> as, as I understand, um, you know, this is a, obviously a very busy time for you. So let's, let, let's hit all the, 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 high notes. So Pascal Siakam, yeah. his market, um, you know, you've been reporting on the fact that, you know, there is conversation between Toronto and Portland, but it doesn't necessarily seem like Portland wants to give up number three. Is that what you know right now? Yeah, I think I'm pretty confident that if the Blazers do end up moving the number three pick, it's not going to be with Toronto. Mm. Um, I'm not confident they're going to move the pick at all, to be honest. I mean, from what I've heard, um, they're they're holding a high bar. Like, they're going to only move that pick for someone like Bam Matabayo. Um, you know, Paul George is a name I think is – I mean, I know is definitely on the radar, but I, I, I was told there wasn't a, a ton of traction there for now. Um, and then you got the, the potential of either Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson in New Orleans, but I don't – truly think they're going to be on the table too. I'm sure some Raptors fans right now listening to this are saying, well, Pascal's as good as any of those guys. Mm-hmm. And he is for sure. But I think around the league, there's two things going on with his trade value right now. The first is that for him and any other Raptors player, which at this point I think is really just OG Adenobi after Gary Trent opted in and Fred Dembley opted out. Um, but a similar theme a theme from the deadline is that other teams think the Raptors are overvaluing their players, which happens in plenty of front offices, but sure. that's a particular theme about this current organization. Um, and with Pascal in particular, I think it's difficult being that the second thing is he's extension eligible, and any team that trades for him has to be um, considerate of that fact and has to probably be of the understanding he's going to want to resign with them in order to acquire him. And he's, his next salary is going to be potentially a deal very similar to what the Wizards just had to get off of Bradley Beal. So as we're getting closer to this new second tax apron situation, even with the new TV money coming in, Big contracts like that, if you're not 100% solid, that guy is your guy or a top two guy on a championship team, the trade value is going to be, I think, a lot smaller than what we just saw this last, you know, nine to 12 months dating back to the Rudy Gobert trade and the DeJounte trade to Donovan and then this trade deadline. Even Kyrie Irving's trade value, I think, was a lot higher than what Bradley Beals was at the end of the day. Mm. No, that's 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 really good insight. Um, another team you brought up um that I hadn't heard before was Atlanta with, with Pascal. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the situation there? It seems like Atlanta might be interested. Yeah. I, 
I'll be honest in that and maybe this is a little Easter egg sure. that like there's more going on there than I know right now. Okay. Um, but I, I definitely heard that there were talks there yesterday. Um, I need, I need a lot more information before I can say more and write more. And I, I definitely want to, I've got a mm-hmm. story I got to work on the rest of the day for tomorrow morning. Okay. Um, but I would definitely say that Atlanta's in the mix for Pascal. I had heard that there was some type of like impasse, um, in talks with Atlanta and a couple things going on yesterday. Um, and someone last night with the Hawks told me that they thought that a lot of that was because of the valuation stuff we were talking about earlier right. uh, from Toronto's side. So I need more specifics, but um, it does seem like Atlanta is a legitimate possible landing spot for Pascal. And, and to be clear, it doesn't sound like this is like Trey Young for Pascal. This is Trey yeah. Young is who they're aiming to pair with Pascal. So it might be the remainder of that roster and, and whatever picks they end up getting together. Look, there's a lot of talk right now about DeJounte Murray being available. I mm. think pretty much every player outside of Trey Young from I mean, that's what the Hawks have told me is available. Not to say they're shopping DeJounte Murray. Right. They're definitely shopping John Collins. Yeah. Um DeAndre Hunter's name is coming up a lot. Um, I mean, Clint Capella is a player I think a lot of teams are interested in, but I think he's like lower on the tier than Hunter and John Collins. So the Hawks have a lot of stuff up their sleeve that they're or not up their sleeve that they're trying to put up their sleeve and then be able to take out when they're on the clock at 15 or other things happening. So right. we'll see how their cards end up falling once we get things going tomorrow night. Okay. That's great information. Um, yeah. I, I think with Pascal, um, look, I think for a lot of Raptor fans, they're, they're sort of looking at the idea of, okay, what if we pivot away from this current group and what if we rebuild? And I think the, the tempting, piece of that especially as the draft um is tomorrow is how do the raptors get to the top of the draft right how do they get to portland at number three doesn't seem like charlotte wants to move number two they definitely shouldn't uh maybe you know houston or maybe detroit moves their picks as well but uh, again i think those teams probably just end up rolling with what they got um unless you tell me differently but yeah if it's not involving pascal then then how do the raptors do the raptors have an avenue to to get to that top of the draft I don't know what it is, but from right now, my understanding is that they're definitely talking to teams like Dallas at 10 and Orlando at 11 to move up a little bit from 13. Okay. But they're also talking to teams down in the 20s about moving down. So they do seem like a team of all that, like Dallas, for example, like they want to move down. They're not a team that's looking across the board. Mm. Atlanta is a team that's trying to get up. Like there are teams that are have like direct goals and there are other teams who are like, oh, we're kind of open to other things. The rappers seem to be aggressively pursuing all angles. So right. and that's kind of what they do. Like from everything I've heard over the years, what they do is they kind of create a board, like literally a board of what all their options can be at certain scenarios. Like that Thad Young first round pick package from a couple of deadlines ago, like they had Chris Tops on the table and other things on the table and just decided to do um, that. I guess they got Thad Young back, whatever. Goran Dragic. They yes. were sending out Goran yeah. Dragic in the first and it became Thad Young. Um, so that seems like what they're doing here, that they're going to look at all the scenarios to get up. I don't even think it's just to get to four. I think, if they can get to 10 or maybe do something with Utah at nine, Utah's having all kinds of Utah's another team. Like they're they're They've been talking with Detroit about nine and 16 to move up. They've been talking mm. about other things with um, like 16 and 28 to get up beyond the nine again, a second time. There's, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of balls in the air right now. No, for sure. I, I don't even know how you keep track of all this off the top <laughs> of your head too. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I think maybe the last question with Pascal is just like, what do you think the idea is of like, like, is Pascal willing to sign an extension in Toronto? Do you have you heard anything about that? Because he is an extension eligible. And yeah. obviously, that's a big piece of whether or not other teams want to trade for him. They would want assurances that he would resign in those markets if he were traded there. I very much am of the belief he would be a fan of signing that extension, sticking around. He's, mm. I've never heard anything to the contrary that he doesn't love being there. Same. Um, yeah. That he's kind of taken a bit of pride of being, he's the last standing like starter, real like contributor piece of that 2019 title team. I think there's kind of like some Udonisy vibes there. I don't think he's okay. by any counts, you know, like that type of, uh, like walking a book of Tao leadership guy. But mm. um, I think there's some type of like pride about being part of the original cultural fabric. Like a lot of, I mean, basically outside of him and a couple other piece, like actual, actual coaching staff pieces. Like, I mean, there hasn't been many, pe- there are no very few people left from that team that truly contributed that were on the wood in Oracle. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's something that um, is important to him. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, I want to move on to OG Ananobi. This is the yeah. other player that the Raptors always get sort of linked to in terms <laughs> of trade rumors. And you kind of giggle because I, I understand why. Because, you know, this is not the first time we've gone around on this, right? And I think that uh, you, you brought up recently, and I think you reported at that time last year as well, that uh, Portland may or may not have offered number seven, which turned into um, Sharp uh, mm-hmm. for OG last June. Um What's the market for OG right now? Who who are the teams interested in OG currently? So I definitely think Indiana remains a team that's checking in um, on acquiring him, but they've got their, I mean, the Pacers literally have a list of 25 guys, you know, like not exactly 25, but they've got a long list of guys. They're looking at every legitimate starting four option, whether it's a three, four guy or a four or five guy or a shooter or someone who's in a more of a playmaking bit, like they're looking at all kinds of four. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not just OG there, the rest of the teams, I mean, Sacramento came up a lot like a week ago. I'm not sure how, how viable that is, but that seems definitely connected to Harrison Barnes, who's, you know, another player on the Pacers list. And sure. this is kind of how the off season works. Like when these players are out there and either trade or free agency scenarios, every team is kind of, like running scenarios of how they can get that guy or that, you know, they're, they're planning. All right. Well, here's our order. Maybe not every single team um, has like a direct hierarchy of like one, two, three, four here are options at this position, but there is kind of tiers and stuff like that. So um, I don't know where OG falls truly and and other teams outside of uh, I've heard SAC and I've heard Indiana. Um, everyone likes to draw up Memphis, but I've, I've never gotten it like confirmed solid that like he's still someone on their radar right now. Mm. The Grizzlies, I definitely have her still looking at um, wing players, wing depth, especially knowing that Dylan Brooks is about to leave um, or expecting that to happen. And I, I just kind of theorized about it. And the last thing I wrote at Yahoo, because Tyus Jones is available. And in the event, Fred Van Vliet walks, which is possible. Yep. I wonder if maybe there's something there. Um, but that's that was just me connecting dots of, of things I know to be true, that the Raptors are listening on OG, Memphis Tyus stuff, they're looking for a wing. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if someone actually ends up meeting his asking price, because I do just keep hearing that for both Pascal and OG, that the Raptors are valuing them higher than the rest of the, the league kind of sees them at. Yeah, no, for sure. I, especially with OG, I think that that's 
that's uh the sense i always get um is they definitely really really value og um the memphis first for ties jones i think that that's interesting in, in terms of you know I, it would make sense as in you're not reporting that that's what's happening but um that that could be a possibility um it would be interesting um if fred does move on so what what is fred's market currently right now because to be honest it doesn't really sound like there's another contending situation for fred to end up at if he's going to get his money I would agree. I, I mean, the team that keeps coming up the most for him is Houston. And Houston. Mm. there's absolutely, uh, I mean, I, I hate talking in this like mumbo jumbo, but there's definitely a growing sense around the league I love it. that I love James it. Harden's going back to, to Philadelphia. So okay. in that event, like the Rockets, they, they definitely are going to be spending. And it's been pretty communicated to me from various angles that like point guard and, and a real table setter who can set up this roster of you know, high upside prospects on Houston. Like they need someone who can actually kind of be like the Chris Paul to what happened with Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, you know, okay. a couple of moons ago. So is, is Fred going to be the number one option if Harden walks out the door? I don't know, but there's a ton of talk about him getting like a two year kind of balloon type deal from Houston. Um, I don't know if he'll be willing to take that. I think there's definitely mutual interest in him going back to Toronto to your point. Mm -hmm. So if that 390, you know, Kyle Lowry contract that sounds like was basically on the table um, before he declined or, you know, they won't quote mutually as what Fred said, uh, just like uh, uh, decided to move that extension back. Like, I think that's the number that is still going to be available from my understanding to stay in Toronto. So is there a, a two a 100 crazy deal from Houston or something like that to get him out of there? I don't know, mm. but um or like a 280 thing that gets him to actually turn away more money, more years and security with a situation he's liked. That's a contending. That's a, that's, you know, the Rockets are not anywhere close to the contending sphere. I'm not sure, but we'll find out more after the draft. That's where all the attention will shift. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a, uh... That's interesting. Never heard about the, the the two year idea with Houston, but then again, I mean, I I don't know. I think Fred is just a little bit maybe too competitive to just kind of be. I, I will look. I won't try to disrespect the Houston Rockets, but it will essentially be a babysitter for for yeah. a lot of those guys. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's probably a higher rate than he would get here in Toronto or maybe even elsewhere. Um, is Orlando still in the mix for Fred potentially? So Orlando is going to be an interesting spot because what they do at six could end up potentially, you know, if they take a guard right. like Anthony Black, uh, I'm going to write this at some point, but there, there, there could be some trade situations there with other guards in their roster. So mm. um, I don't know. The fact that the log jam in their backcourt is already playing a factor at six, I'm not so certain that – because I think the Fred Van Vliet stuff to Orlando was maybe like early back-channel overtures before right. Markel – came back and really had a bounce back year like he did. I think Markel's play has kind of changed a lot of the calculus in Orlando's team building. Hmm. No, that's fair. Um, well, you know, you touched on this a little bit before, but there are kind of like, you hear some things about, you know, Bobby and Masai potentially being difficult to work with. Um, what do you think that idea comes from or that perception comes from? From everything I know, other teams tell me pretty similar things that Toronto okay. will call you or you'll call them and they'll start talking about players and they kind of leave teams with an with a idea at the end of the phone call. They're like, oh, they never really wanted to get a deal done with us anyway. They just wanted to see how we value these guys and what our negotiating style is and 
they were just trying to kind of mine us for information, you know, the same way that okay. they get kind of praised for doing this lengthy interview search for the head coach. You know, you get to pick up, you know, it's not just like what I, from what I heard, you know, a lot of teams think like, Oh, like, uh, well, they're just interviewing all these candidates to get information about like playbooks and whatever. Like apparently the rappers were also asking questions of these candidates about like, like pro like pro scout type stuff like oh like what's your read on this player's work ethic and stuff like that like they're collecting a lot of information all the time so i think other teams when like it's the trade deadline or the draft where you only have a certain couple of hours you know to be on the phone every day like if i give you an hour of my time or you know i'm just giving a a blanket uniform you know measurement i give you some time and all of it really was spent for you to collect information for me. And we weren't actually doing business and you kind of wasted my time. I'm not yeah, saying everyone okay. thinks that way. And I'm, I'm not saying every phone call is like that. Cause obviously the rappers are active. They've gotten deals done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of a, an impression they've left with a lot of people, I think over the last 18 months. Yeah. That, uh, that def- definitely does make sense. I think it's really aligned with the reporting out there too, of like, you know, like the trade deadline, for example, it's like, okay, the Raptors, probably hold the keys of the trade deadline here and they mm-hmm. ultimately move nobody in fact they yeah. actually add Jakob, uh <laughs> which I, honestly i firmly i was just like i didn't think the raptors would do that until yeah uh, and you kept reporting that like hey Jakob portal's there toronto wants a center and i, you, I know you put, like, i didn't believe it either but i didn't believe it either i kept saying every time i heard that i was like really that doesn't make any sense and they're like uh-huh. no they're calling about Jakob right now like it's happening i was like yeah. oh <laughs> let's go yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, look, I, I wanted to ask around the league as well. So um, you brought this forward, which, uh, and you touched on it before too, that, you know, Portland, if they are going to move number three or Simons, doesn't seem like they're going to move sharp at all, quite frankly, based on what he showed it towards the end of the season. It would be for a guy like Bam Adebayo. Um, mm-hmm. how, I mean, realistically, like, is that something that Miami even entertains after? No, no I'm not even going to let you finish the question. I yeah. mean, I think. So why is Portland doing that? Portland has to have some sense in that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they're doing it, but my read on it, it is kind of a you know shot across the bow at Miami with all their obvious leaked interest about Dame. Okay. Um, and I think it also kind of signals to the league too. Don't don't give us your OG Ananobis and your Pascal Siakams. Like we're looking for bigger type of fish with this pick. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, the intel right now is that James Harden is going back to Philadelphia. So it sounds like Philadelphia is essentially just going to run it back, but with Nick Nurse as the head coach. There'll be other tweaks, too. I mean, Daryl's always mixing and matching. Um, but, yeah, I I do think there's kind of a little sense of run it back there, even though I know the entire fan base is not looking forward to that. <laughs> Trust me, this is a, it's, it's the same in Toronto, and I would argue that Philadelphia has more reason to run it back than Toronto does. Um, last yeah. thing, and, and I know your time is super valuable, but uh, I've been yeah. asking everybody about this. Uh, Chris Tapps just upped it in, apparently. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like for people who want to get to the spot that you are in terms of how you entered the business, um, what is your advice to, to them real quickly with, like, you know, your your pitch as to sort of how to become the next Jake Fisher? <laughs> as in, like, to have transactional information this is what everyone wants at this time of year yeah. you know that yeah i mean i'll tell you this like the, the way i started being able to do this was by trying not to do this so Interesting. Um, okay. i was at si for four years was writing a bunch of magazine style human interest stories like um, i flew to toronto to profile nick nurse right before they that season mm-hmm. in uh 1819 when they won the title because someone came up to me 
in Vegas on the concourse and said, Hey, you know, it's a great, like weird Jake Fisher story. That's what I used to do. Like I got coffee with Mike D'Antoni one morning. Cause he's like addicted to Starbucks. And I did a thing about miles Turner, um, being obsessed with Legos. And I was working on a story one time about how, uh, teams and players have like special VIP customs in Toronto, like stuff like that, that, sure, yeah. um, wasn't about basketball that I got to know all these people. Um, and like nurse's story was so interesting at the time, his whole you know background that everyone knows at this point, mm-hmm. um, and what led him to be the guy to try to win a title with Kawhi Leonard and actually did it. So like I went there and did that. Um, and basically when I got laid off from SI, um, I was freelancing for a bit and my editor at the time of a bleach report, Chris Trenchard called me one day and said, Hey, uh, you're doing great feature stuff for us, but the bad news is that we're cutting our budget for that. But we have this other like part-time, like they called it rumor reporter role. Mm. And we think you'd be good at it. You know, people. So I called like 20 people in the league team friends and said, Hey, like, cause I was texting about a bunch of this stuff behind the scenes, just trying to like, Oh, like I know that was coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I said, can I call you 20 times? Like every, I call you guys every week and start asking about what's happening and write about it. And they were like, yeah, sure. Um, and I, but I also told my bleach report people that like, I wasn't just going to do anonymous GM says this, like I wanted to actually tell stories and kind of canvas the league and cover it like the financial marketplace that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worked out. I think um, the best advice is like if you have a question um, because you want to be accurate about it, not just because like you want gossip, like you're trying to understand the story that's developing here. A lot of people will answer um, and like they're willing to help be you know a little bit uh, helpful in providing their context because they've got their own you know motivations as to what stories out there. It's your job ultimately at the end of the day to kind of shape a like a story that you think is the truth um a lot of people don't like there's a lot of relationships that have been in place for you know decades now that there are certain people that won't talk to me you know Mm -hmm. um but that means like you got to find your different you know your random player pr person a barber a college coach a aau coach you know someone who's a player's like godfather that also knows nba people like that you need to stay in touch with them and Hopefully when you give them a call, they know you're just trying to do a good job and nothing more. That's uh that's really great advice. Cause I, I imagine it's not easy. There's, there's definitely a lot of agendas and people wanting to, you know, For play sure. this out publicly. And, and, and that's a game that, you know, you have to help facilitate, but at the same time, you also just more than anything else want to get to the truth above all yeah. else. So, yeah. um, Jake Fisher, Yahoo sports, um, appreciate your help on this. Thank and, you, man. Uh, we'll see if the Raptors make all this noise and end up <laughs> doing something, but, uh, We'll see. It's sounding like maybe not. Uh, It might be running back. (laughs) Thanks once again to my guest, Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, uh, for taking time out of his day. Um, Obviously, we only publish the audio portion of it because it's a podcast. Um, But, you know, we're recording on Zoom. I can see him. He can see me. And, um, yeah, even just over the course of that 20-minute call, I could see him checking his phone like every couple of minutes and not out of a lack of courtesy, just because that's sort of how fast information moves currently right now. I think there's already, as we speak, um, a transaction breaking three-way deal between uh, Boston and Washington 
and the Clippers, which would seem to send Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers and also Marcus Morris over to Washington and Kristaps Porzingis to Boston. So, you know, you, you can imagine what life is like currently right now as a newsbreaker. So even in the course of recording over 20 minutes, uh, I appreciate his time because um, this is definitely, definitely um, just a lot happening. I, I just wanted to quickly follow up and touch on a couple of the points because I wanted to get the information out of Jake and get his perspective on the situation and then um, use that time wisely. And then I can kind of comment on it further uh, here. And so I wanted to do that. First and foremost, um, the information about Pascal Siakam. That, that, that's interesting. Um, the, so the Blazers, obviously, we keep seeing that the Blazers, number three to Toronto, potentially, potentially, potentially. Uh, my sense with all with it was always like, I completely understand why Portland wouldn't feel this urge, right? If they want to sort of keep make it work with Dame, you pretty much have to use a number three pick and make it into a deal. And then at that point, it's like, who's available? And again, if you were to just canvas the league and look at it, you would see Pascal as a logical trade target. I don't think Pascal is available in that way in terms of Toronto wants to move off of Pascal. I think there's a real possibility that Toronto and Pascal reach uh, an extension. I know that there will be a mutual interest in that front uh, as well. And so there definitely isn't sort of like this urge from Toronto to move Pascal. But again, I could definitely see Portland potentially being linked into it. Um, yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like there's been much conversation as as uh, as Jake discussed in terms of Portland being able to move number three towards Toronto. I think they're looking to see, I don't know, Paul George or Bam Adebayo even. I don't even think that necessarily that would even happen. I don't think I didn't get the sense that Jake thought that that would happen either. I think that uh, honestly, sometimes you might just have to posture a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Dame wants this and you, you got to at least posture it a little bit. So we'll see. Again, I don't really see the Clippers moving off of Paul George. I don't really see the the Heat moving off of Bam Adebayo. And quite frankly, I don't even know if the Raptors would have been willing to move off of Pascal Siakam for number three. I mean, there is definitely is a lot of excitement at the top of the draft, and I understand people wanted to get into it. I totally understand the case for rebuilding. I think if you were to move off of Pascal, like, the, the, you know, Jake also brought up the possibility of Atlanta, which kind of feels... That's certainly new um, in terms of the interest there, but I think it is real from Atlanta. They are interested. Um, but again, I, I don't think it's a situation where they trade Trey Young for Pascal. And so at that point, it's like, what is that headliner that comes back the other way? You might say DeJounte Murray. I would say there there might be some logistical issues with that. Um, and I don't want to speculate further based on that, but I just don't think that, uh, you know, that's going to work as well um, as, as sort of a return. There's also also possibility, of course, of a three-team trade. So maybe they move that value of DeJounte to a third team and they get some extra picks and they throw that towards Toronto. You might see that. Obviously, John Collins is basically permanent trade ballast, unfortunately, for him in his career. So he might be sort of the centerpiece that sort of moves around, but just based off of salary alone. But pretty much you're getting picks and maybe some prospects. And I, I don't even know necessarily if Atlanta wants to empty their shelves. I'm sure they want to keep a guy like A.J. Griffin um, who I would be interested to see how his career progresses, right? Obviously, Toronto, we know A.J. Griffin. He hit the game winner against us. You remember that, the, the alley-oop? Um, but, like, you know, he's been a promising rookie. I would love to see how he develops. Or, like, a Jalen Johnson over there, um, you know, very athletic. Honestly, would probably fit Vision 6-9 here in Toronto. But those aren't the kind of headline pieces, in addition to some distant picks. And Atlanta, I think, has 15 in this draft. That's not... It's, not, it's just not that as compelling. Like, again, like, I think you have to envision yourself... Um, in Masai's shoes in terms of like your philosophy is you really want to trade like if you were to trade Pascal and, I, and I've and I've speculated this in the past too but it's like you would want to trade Pascal in the way that Masai traded DeMar DeRozan 
Um, not necessarily in terms of like blindsiding a guy, but like you want to trade him for like Kawhi Leonard. Um, you want to trade upwards. You want to get him into a bigger star. It's not necessarily to liquidate and go the other direction. Um, and yeah, like this would certainly be the other direction with the Atlanta thing. And I think it's like, you could say like, okay, well, we got the number three pick. We got Scoot Henderson. That sounds much more like appealing in terms of like, whoa, look at this versus like we get the 15th pick, maybe two other picks, maybe three other picks, who knows, um, John Collins and one prospect. Like, that just doesn't... I just, It just would be very counter to the way Masai operates. And I think there is a there is still a belief in this group in terms of just, like, you saw, you saw the reporting from our um, uh, Sportsnet's very own Michael Grange or Doug Smith. You know, these, these reporters that are plugged into what the front office does, people who talk to the front office... Uh, especially pretty consistently, especially right now, but given the time of year, the sense that they're getting and the sense that they're reporting um, is that there is that pride in this group. And so, um, you know, I, I would struggle to see how Pascal will be moved to Atlanta. It will represent a significant directional shift. I also think that it was interesting for Jake to mention, you know, on, on Fred Van Vliet's trade market. Um, again, the, the, the two teams you've, you've heard linked with Fred have been, you know, Houston and Orlando, if it were to be a free agency kind of thing. It, I mean, Orlando was always going to be kind of interesting because they already have a log jam at point guard. They already have big wings that want to handle the ball. So they don't necessarily need to have, um, you know, a, a high usage point guard or even somebody who can really take on a lot of playmaking creation when, when you already have a guy like Paolo who can create it a little bit and who probably wants to have the ball in his hands. Same thing with Franz Wagner as well. Um, that's not to say they can't use a point guard. I think that's probably one of the weaker points in their roster. But then on top of the fact that they have a logjam at point guard. So maybe you can sign and trade with Orlando and you can get back one of those point guards, um, you know, with Fred. But again, at the same time, you would need Orlando to firmly commit to Fred Van Vliet. Do you need to offer a significant amount, probably take up most of their cap room? Obviously, right now, it's an inexpensive roster. There's a lot of flexibility. But they also have talented players that they're going to hope to assign to extensions down the line. And I just don't know fully if, uh, you know, if that opportunity arises um, between Orlando and, and Houston. If I were Fred, I would rather go to Orlando. Um, Houston definitely seems like a mess. And that's not me trying to be, you know, rude about them. But at the same time, it's like they, they, they bring in email, the conversations around that co- head coaching search, which, by the way, was cut off very short. As you can, as you remember, email quickly took that job Um but the conversation around then was like, okay, how are you going to coach Harden and, and this team? And that never necessarily made sense in terms of just like, why would Harden go back to Houston? But like, especially now, and, and you heard Jake talk about it too. It's like, it's pretty clear that James is going to stay in in Philadelphia. They're going to work something out there and maybe they'll tweak around the margins, but they're going to run it back in Philadelphia. Um, and so you don't have Harden. You're kind of flailing. It's like, well, okay, well, maybe we'll throw some money at like Dylan Brooks or you know, Brooke Lopez, that doesn't necessarily sound like either of that is that tantalizing. And so on top of that, you might throw the rest of your cap space, which might include a big two-year balloon payment at Fred VanVleet. Like, that might sound good on paper, I think, to a guy like Fred in terms of just like, okay, it's a bigger deal, right? You could see that, the appeal of that, and you get to hit free agency again, you know, when you're in your early 30s, like, sure. But at the same time, it's also like, you really, you're relocating your family for two years with an organization that has no real chance to compete, even if they do orchestrate one or two free agency signings. Um, 
And yeah, your primary role there would be to sort of like whip the young guys in shape. I mean, I think, you know, based on what people can speculate here in Toronto um, or even Fred, you know, making comments um, at times about the younger players. Right. Like I, I, I don't get the sense that like Fred is eagerly looking to um, babysit guys. Um, if, if it was in Toronto in terms of just like, you know, keeping these guys in line. I mean, that that's obviously that wasn't necessarily um, the most functional, you know, coaching locker room situation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, again, I'm not trying to speculate beyond that because I, I really don't think that that's my place. But um, if, if he found it difficult in Toronto, uh, it, it will be like five times more difficult than Houston with that group. Um, so I think on a number of levels, even if it is more money that Houston is offering, I think it's probably more competitive for Fred to stay in Toronto. I also think that this is reminding me a lot of last time Fred hit for agency, which was after the 2019, no, after the 2020 season, um, where he was essentially like, I wouldn't say he was challenged to, to go out in free agency and look for a new deal and, and find what he can, but it, it's 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 similar in tactic, I would say, to like the way even Kyle Lowry was handled in Toronto, in the sense that like, okay, we understand you're coming up as a free agent. We understand that you um, have some clout in this league and you're an accomplished player. We understand that you know um, you may want to look elsewhere. Here's our number. We have good, you know, there's a good bond here. We're going to keep the lines open. We're not going to do anything in terms of I'm going to suddenly go off and, and and sign this deal and not tell you about it. No no chance to compete, all that kind of stuff. But you know go out there and see what you can get, right? And I remember that playing out with Kyle. I remember that playing out the last time with Fred when he was a free agent. And, you know, he looked around. There were a couple of potential options, let's say, but none of it was that, like, concrete. And ultimately, he signed in Toronto for what I thought at that time was a pretty fair deal. I think over the life of his deal, the, the what, the last three years we've had Fred, the Raptors have paid him about $20 million, right? Probably $20, 21000000 million. That's been very fair value for what Fred VanVleet brings as a player, um, and now with the cap going up and also his accomplishments in the league, that's just natural. Like you, you make an all-star team, you end up getting paid more money. That's just part of the, the, the deal, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there is going to be more of an expectation in terms of financial, um, gain out of that. But at the same time, it's like, you have this baseline. I think it's, it's interesting that Fred has been, given this number of like 390, if that is indeed the number, it's very reminiscent to the way Kyle operates. And, I, and, I, and I've, you know, just to sort of read in between the lines there, I do feel like Kyle is a guy who Fred has um, not like operated his career based off of, because I'm not saying he wants to have Kyle Lowry's exact career, which by the way, would be a really good one, obviously, as we know. But like, that would be the baseline. Actually, it wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't be too surprising. Um, just based on what I see potentially out there, like I don't really see a better situation for Fred um, outside of taking the money in Toronto. And again, three years, 90 would be pretty reasonable for me. Like I would even say three years, 90 third year player option. You know what I mean? And um, I think the Raptors still need to find more upgrades at guard, even with Fred coming back and also Gary, obviously opting in recently. Um, but you know, that is a situation where, Look, it's not like you're married to him long term. You're not as worried about the fact that, okay, there's a fourth year in there and it's all guaranteed. You probably, from Fred's perspective, he could probably say, like, well, look, listen, we can roll this back in two years. And again, I can have this opportunity to look around and maybe see different opportunities. But, you know, 
just based on what are the other opportunities out there, like Phoenix, I guess, was mentioned tangentially as like maybe, you know, we do something there. But like Phoenix clearly committed to Bradley Beal. So that's completely off the table. And when you just look around at other teams with cap space, I just don't see what situations uh, A would offer significantly more money or or B offer a significantly better opportunity. So we'll see. Obviously, a lot of changes in free agency. You know, we, we could see it. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be a case. It seems like Philadelphia is not a landing spot for Fred either. Um, they're just going to roll back hard. And so they're going to have no money. And also, you know, that didn't really seem that realistic either in the first place. I also didn't think that like the Raptors would orchestrate a sign and trade for Fred to go to Philadelphia. Like you weren't going to get Tyrese Maxey or anything like that in the deal. It wouldn't have been anything good. Um, and I, I'm not to say that the Messiah and Bobby have too much pride to just give Fred to another organization, but like, they're not going to do that, man. Not after they also took Nick as well. Like, it's just that, that would have just been a no, I, even if it were interest and you know, they, they went down the line, which they didn't really seem so. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think based on all that, um, the running back option does sound more and more likely or the outcome, maybe not even the option, just the outcome. And I think the Raptors are pragmatic. And I think, you know, even hearing Jake's perspective in terms of as an outsider who's looking at this um, trade market and obviously deals with lots of players and agents and GMs and all that other kind of stuff, people calling them, um, their read on the Raptors to me is, is, is interesting. It's, it's, it's not too dissimilar to some of the other reports we've seen out there as well. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good or bad thing necessarily to to operate in this way. Everyone's going to have their own style of, um, I don't even say, it's not even management, it's just how they operate. Right? Um, and yeah, if the Raptors are the type to be deliberate, to find information, to get as much of it as possible, I don't think that's, that's a bad thing. I think where that does become a bad thing is if it got to the point where they're so interested in getting all this information um, and they're so interested in essentially like, you know, taking teams down the line with the player and like, hey, maybe we'll talk about this player. And then the brand be like, oh, just just kidding. I was just trying to get information. Number one, you can see how that would be annoying to certain teams, especially if they're trying to make that happen. Um, not only if they're trying to make time happen, um, but also just like if they're trying to make other plans, like if it's all contingent on what the Raptors do and, and half, last second the Raptors pull out, it is kind of awkward um, and it would be annoying. So I completely understand that. But I also think at the same time, like, what is the cost to the Raptors? Are you just going to not do a deal with the Raptors in the future because of the fact that, you know, they haven't done one in the past? Or maybe you were led down a line, but you didn't ultimately get a deal done? That's the nature of the business, you know? And if the Raptors are more hesitant than other teams, um, I think that's fair. I think you could say that that's a critique. But also at the same time, what... I guess the only issue for me that arises is, like, if they don't ultimately consummate deals because of this. And I do think the Raptors make deals. They just don't make the deals that I think a lot of people want to see from them right now, which is to sort of tear it down and go in a different direction. And maybe that's just, look, they're pragmatic. They're not going to just tear it down because they're going to say, I'm going to tear it down. Like, this is not the Washington Wizards bringing in a new management, um, which is now clearly being like, okay, Porzingis out the door. Bradley Beal out the door. We don't really care what we get back. Marcus Morris has some picks. Cool. Like, you know what? We'll get some swaps. And Chris Paul, who we're, who's not even going to play for us. Cool. Right? Like, they're not really, in terms of, like, making that hard pivot in terms of we are going to rebuild regardless of what the offers are. I think they're pragmatic in the sense of, like, if the offers are good and if they make sense, we'll do it. And until that really happens for them or until they negotiate that into themselves into that position, you are going to see sort of, like, this type of holding pattern. And I, I totally understand as, as, you know, watching it and being frustrated in terms of, okay, 
I didn't like what I saw last year. And if nothing changes besides the coach, why am I invested into this again this year? But, you know, at the same time, what do you want to do? Like, are, do you want them to take an Atlanta deal? If that's if the two deals on the table are, or at least the ones that you thought were like, you know, potentially Portland at number three, that's off the table. It's like, okay, well, it's much easier to be like, okay, we're going to do that for Scoo Henderson versus like, we're going to do this for this amorphous uh, Hawks package that mostly includes picks, right? Um, like, this isn't like Utah coming in, again, new management coming in, Danny H coming in and being like, all right, we're going to break up the whole thing. And Donovan Mitchell, you're out the door. And, and they got a great return for Donovan Mitchell. They got a great return for Rudy Gobert. Um, but clearly they were very determined to move. And the market at that time, made complete sense. Like, the offers made sense to move. I'm not hearing these compelling offers that it's like, oh, I need to move off of OJ and OB for some of these picks. Like, if it's like, you know, Indiana, for example, and they're trying to offer, what, 7, um, 26, and 29, I think that's what they had for this draft. Like, is is that necessarily better than OJ and OB? You might say, like, oh, if, if you're determined on a hard pivot, then sure, you take that and you can go. It's not saying that that's completely out of the question. But again, the Raptors aren't at the point where they're deciding that, like, we're going to hard pivot out of this, right? They're kind of always constantly soft pivoting. And we'll see. Maybe eventually down the line, all the contracts run out. They all look like bad deals. Guys get old, and this whole thing is just a waste of time, and it's kind of nothing. But, I mean, at the same time, I also would understand them not taking a deal that is below what they value their players at. And I think eventually teams either come up to that value or the Raptors hold on to their guys. And so that's my current read. Um, appreciate Jake for coming on and giving all that information. I'm sure that uh, for a lot of Raptor fans who are interested in trade rumors, that will be very useful and, um, you know, just illuminating in general. I, I also liked his advice as well. I, I Again, I was cognizant of his time, but I did want to ask Jake, um, maybe the next time we have him on is sort of just like, you know, you started out as a feature writer and then it became more and more about information gathering. Um, and look, that's that's what happens in your job, right? Like, you know, the market dictates your job most most times, especially in something like this. If more people are willing to pay you to get information or, or more readers are willing to click on articles for information rather than to read long-term profiles that are not necessarily about, hey, Team X wants to do Y and Z, um, and rather this is who this person is and this is what's cool about them or here's some stories about them, then it is what it is. But I, I do I do want to ask him, I suppose, like what he prefers to do more because um, – I don't know. I mean, I, obviously the industry, and, and you can definitely tell that like um, information definitely sells a lot better than profiles and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, for me as a as a consumer of basketball content, um, I, I love I love reading features. I, I love getting to know who these people are and, and getting to interview them and talk to them and talk to the people around them and, and getting that sense of like here is who you're watching. Like I think we we so much fast forward, especially at this time between like who we're watching in terms of like, who are we going to watch next? That it, it just, again, I don't know. I said this on the last episode too, when I, when I talked with Alex, but it's just like, I, I, I kind of reached the point with the trade rumors where I'm just like, like, what is kind of the point? Like, I, I mean, obviously I prefer to watch basketball beyond all of this, but, uh, and, and obviously there's no basketball happening. The season's over, but um, you know, what, what are you specifically consuming? Right. Because for me, like and there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, if, if you just like reading trade rumors and, and that's and sort of mashing together guys into the trade machine and doing this or that and, and talking about that with your friends online, I totally get it, man. I, I do a lot of that myself, including on this podcast. But um, I don't know. I think our consumption habits are also just kind of like 
weirdly, we're all here for basketball, but we're not the most interested in the basketball itself. And this is hardly like an original thought um, about basketball or just the state of NBA fandom currently. But um, I, I suppose it's just interesting to me. But in any case, um, you know, thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, um, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, yeah, we will have uh, more content coming to you daily. So uh, look ahead to the draft tomorrow. It's going to be really exciting. And, uh, you know, after all the speculation, we got to actually see who the Raptors end up with. So stay tuned.